Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Father, we thank you uh, for all the effort that went into writing this book. We know, Lord, it's not a book that was put together by human ingenuity or wisdom. Lord, we know this birth, this book was birthed by you, by your spirit. Uh, and Father, we believe within these pages, there are tremendous lessons for us to learn. And not only to learn them, but to apply them in our daily lives. So Lord, we just lift up today our study of Genesis 27. And I just pray for each of my brothers and sisters, Lord. Uh, I pray that you would speak to each of us, even myself, Lord, as I would lead. Uh, that you would just underline those portions uh, and highlight those portions that we specifically need to hear and apply. So, Lord, we come with an expectant heart to meet you afresh and anew through your word. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let me read Genesis 27, and then we will take it apart. Now, it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son. And Esau said to him, here I am. And Isaac said, behold, now I'm old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver and your bow. Go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me, such as I love. Bring it to me that I may eat and so that my soul may bless you before I die. And Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Going out of the flock and bring me two choice kids from there that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father, that he may eat, so that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me. Then I shall be as a deceiver in his sight, and I shall bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go get them for me. So he went and got them and he brought them to his mother and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She also gave the savory food and the bread, which she had made to her son, Jacob. Then he came to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. 
who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Get up, please sit. Eat of my game that you may bless me. And Isaac said to Jacob, how is it that you've had it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy, like his father, brother's Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, bring it to me and I'll eat of my son's game that I might bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate. He also brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Esau said to him, please come close, kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and he said, see the smell of my son. It's like the smell of the field, which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you. Blessed be those who bless you. Now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, the Esau, his brother came in from hunting. Then he also made savory food. He brought it to his father, said to his father, let my father rise, eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. And Isaac, his father, said to him, who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, who was he that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of all of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceeding great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O oh my father. And he said, your brother came deceitfully, has taken away your blessing. Then Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. If he know he's taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master, and all his relatives I have given to him as servants. And with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O oh, my father. So Esau lifted his voice and he wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall you be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above. And by your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless that you'll break his yoke from your neck. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I'll kill my brother Jacob. Now, when the words of his elder son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau 
is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Haran, to my brother Laban, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides, until your brother's anger against you subsides, and he forgets what you did to him. Then I will send and get you from there. Why should I be reaped of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth, like these, from the daughters of the land, what good, what good will my life be to me? Whew, long chapter here. Okay, let's jump in. So basically, as I read uh, this chapter 27, I think there's two major points that come to me. Number one, we can do things my way or we can do things God's way, okay? It's a choice. We can do it the way I want it done, or we can seek God and do it his way. The second thing I think I, I want us to look at is the danger of holding a grudge and the importance of forgiveness. So those are the two points I want to kind of hammer home this morning. So let's look at the first one, doing things either my way or God's way. So the story here really is the story of two brothers, okay? We got uh, Isaac, Rebecca, and they're going to have two kids, Esau and Jacob. So let me give you just a little bit of background. Uh, I think that kind of makes the story come together. Uh, so I'm just going to read some of this stuff. Uh, in fact, if you have your Bible and you want to backtrack a minute, uh, if you look at Genesis 25, uh, this is the story. Rebecca is pregnant, going to have kids. And uh, this is where we kind of pick it up uh, to give you some background. Genesis 25, 24. One or days to be delivered were fulfilled. Behold, there were twins uh, in Rebecca's womb. The first came forth red all over like a hairy garment. And they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came with his hand holding onto Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was 60 years old when he gave birth to them. When the boys grew up, Esau became, here it is, a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now catch the next point in 28. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So here's the deal. Not a good thing to have favorites. Very clear that Isaac is drawn to Esau and Rebekah is drawn to Jacob. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and was famished. Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of the red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. And Esau said, behold, I'm about to die. So what use is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. So that's kind of like the background. We have different favoritism. Isaac loves Esau. Rebekah loves Jacob. We also see here, um, that Esau kind of threw away his birthright just for something to eat. 
was not a big deal to him. So that kind of gives you a little bit of the setting here. Um, the birthright, uh, it's interesting. Uh, the Basically, the older son should get more than the younger son. That's just the way it's played out in Deuteronomy 21 and verse 17. It says this, but you shall acknowledge the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he has. For he is the beginning of his strength. To him belongs the right of the firstborn. So in Deuteronomy, it says right there that the firstborn gets double, in a sense, of the inheritance. Okay, that's a big deal. Uh, so that sets the stage. And as we set the stage, let's go right to where we go today which is Genesis 27. So it says here, it came about when Isaac was old, his eyes were too dim to see, that he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son. And Esau says, okay, here I am. Isaac said, behold, now I'm old. I don't know the day of my death. Now then please take your gear, your quiver, your bow, go out in the field and go hunt game for me. Prepare a savory dish for me, such as I love and bring it to me that I might eat it so that my soul may bless you before I die. So Isaac is getting the feeling, hey, I'm getting older and uh, I'm going to die. And then, you know, things have to be distributed between my kids. So he's all set to, to basically put a major blessing on the older son, Esau. But verse five, Rebecca was listening while Isaac spoke to his son, Esau. So Rebecca is there catching everything uh, that's going on. Now, if I can get into Rebecca's head, this is what I, I get into. Uh, I can hear Rebecca saying, it ain't going to happen. No way, no way, Isaac, is the major blessing going to go to Esau? Uh-uh. For A, number one, it's not going to happen because Jacob is my favorite. Therefore, he's going to get it. B, I think um, basically what could have been told to Rebecca is that Esau had already sold his birthright for some stew. So Rebecca says, well, number two, he's already forfeited it. So he ain't, he's just not going to get it. And number three, what's interesting, um, God had actually promised and said that Jacob was going to be more important than Esau. Uh, that's found in Genesis 25. Uh, and if you look at verse 22, it says here, but the children struggled together within Rebekah. And she said, if it's so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire the Lord. And it says this, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And here it is. The older shall serve the younger. So prophecy, the Lord made it very clear. Uh-uh. Esau is not going to get the major blessing. Nope. It's going to be Jacob. So it could be any one of those three things that's going around in Rebecca's mind. But for sure, she's going to make very clear somehow, some way, Jacob's going to be number one, not Esau. Okay. So that's where she is. Uh, she's thinking, and let's uh, pick it up again at five, halfway. So Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home. 
But here's where the scheming comes in. Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, behold, I've heard your father speak of your brother Esau, saying, bring me some game. And I'm looking at the time here, and I want to make sure I'm going to have enough time to get through all this. So you know the story. She basically says, okay, what I want you to do, Jacob, is go out, do some hunting, get the game. And then basically, uh, Jacob is not dumb. Because he says to his mom in 27, 11, Jacob answers mother, Rebecca, behold, Esau, my brother's a hairy man. I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me. Then I'll be a deceiver in his sight. I shall bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. So Jacob says, this is tricky, mama. I can go cook the stuff, bring it there. Um, but my dad's, he's not dumb. He's going to feel around. He's going to find out, hey, hey, Esau's hairy. I'm not. It's going to be a big mess, mom. I think we better chill out on your plan. But mama is very strong. Look at 13. But his mother said to Jacob, you, your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice. Go and get them for me. So he went, got them, brought them to his mother. She, they make, she makes the food. Uh, 15, then Rebecca took the best garments of Esau. Her elder son, which were with her in the house, put them on Jacob, her younger son. She put the skins of the kids on his hands and on a smooth part of the neck. And then basically, <clears throat> Jacob comes to his pop, 18, my father. Uh, and then uh, Jacob says to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. He's outright lying to him. Okay. Dad, get up, please eat. And then put a blessing on me. And then I could see Isaac scratching his head, saying, like, you know, it takes a while to hunt the game. It takes a while to prepare. How, son, how, how did you get this done so quickly? <clears throat> uh, and, and Jacob responds, 20, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. So I could see Isaac saying, ah, it's a little fishy here. So Isaac wants to check it out. 21. Please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father. He felt him and said, it's the voice of Jacob with the hands of Esau. So now that is really kind of messed up in the head. Hey, this sounds like, it sounds like Jacob, but, but he feels like Esau. So I think Isaac is really trying to, he's not quite sure what to make of this thing. Verse 23, notice he was blind, so therefore he's had a disadvantage. And it says 23, and he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's, so he blessed him. And then he, he's point blank, asked him, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. Uh, and then the father basically begins to eat uh, 26 please come close kiss me my son so he came close kissed him and when he smelled the smell of his garments now he's smelling okay this okay number one the guy's hearing he smells like it, it's got to be Esau he has the voice of Jacob but I'm going to go for it I believe it's Esau <clears throat> if you look at 27 at that point Isaac blesses and puts a full blessing on the son. 
on Jacob, okay? So at that point, everything's good for Jacob. He takes off. Esau comes in, does the same spiel. Hey, Pop, here's the food. Gets everything ready. Uh, verse 31, let my father rise, eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. Now, Isaac begins to sense something is not right here, and he's beginning to get ticked. 32, and, and Isaac, his father, said to him, who are you? And he said, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently. I mean, like he is mad because he's sensing something isn't right in this picture. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was he then that hunted game and, and brought it to me so that I ate of all of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cries out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O oh my father. Isaac says, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. And you know what's really interesting? Not only does he steal the blessing, it's almost like Isaac puts a curse on Esau because if you look at 39, what the, the father says to Esau is not good. Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, away from the dew of heaven. Uh, so it's, it's not a good picture. So, so what do we do? What, what's the takeaway on this story? The takeaway, I believe, is this. If I get into Rebecca's head, I hear her say, basically, the end justifies the means. We've all heard that on our side. Doesn't matter what I do, it's the end game that really matters. So I think she says the end justifies the means. Um, and the bottom is, I'm going to do what I need to do to make this happen the way I think it should. But in reality, it kind of backfires because Rebecca's scheme gets Esau ticked. I mean, Esau is fired up. And as we see in verse 41, as this is all going on, Esau is saying, look, I'm going to kill my brother. That sneak that thief who stole my birthright. So in a sense, the whole thing begins to backfire. So, so basically, I don't think God really approved of Rebecca's way of making it happen. Yeah, God said that Jacob was gonna be the leader, Esau would follow, uh, that's true, but I don't think God wanted Rebecca to take things in her own hands. I, I don't think God wanted her to try to make it happen and make the prophecy come to pass. I think God wanted her to know that hey, he and he alone, if he promises it, is going to make it happen. He'll bring it to pass. I think if God was speaking to Rebecca, he'd say, Rebecca, you, you know, you've got to realize that I don't do my things through trickery and through manipulation and through human effort. Uh-uh, that's -uh, not the way it happens. I want you to trust me instead of you trying to make it happen. So <clears throat> I think that's a takeaway on this story, but it's not just this story. 
I wanna give you two other illustrations where people, in a sense, jump the gun. And I'm sharing these stories because I don't want you and I to jump the gun in our own lives. So you can see the story here, Rebecca, kind of, it went south. Uh, the same thing happens in regards to Abraham. He has a similar kind of situation, a little different. Uh, I'm going to read it real quick. In Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land, which I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. God's very clear. I am going to bless you, Abraham, and you out of your uh, loins is going to come this gigantic group of descendants. He repeats that again in Genesis 13 uh, and verse 16. At a different time, he says, I'll make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. So God says, Abraham, you're going to have tons and tons of kids. But guess what? Sarah can't get pregnant. It just isn't happening. And when things don't happen, our human tendency is if it's not happening, we're going to try to help it happen some way or another. So Abraham basically goes to God. Genesis 15, 2, and it says, Abraham said, O Lord, what will thou give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? So basically, the Lord is saying to him, uh -uh, it's not going to be this, the slave is not going to be the one that's going to give you your descendants. Uh, Genesis 15, 4, then behold, the word of the Lord came to Abraham saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. Okay, okay. Abraham says, okay, it's not my slave. It's going to be through me through my body. And again, nothing's happening. No kids. And I can see them having sex over and over again. Hey, what's the deal? She can't get pregnant. So Sarah gets an idea in her head. Genesis 16, 1. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid perhaps I shall obtain children through her. Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Not a good picture. So, okay, it's not happening. We're going to help God. And Sarah says, okay, uh, go into my, my maid. Well, that kind of backfires. And God's very clear. That's not the way to go. Again, looking at Genesis 17, uh, the Lord says this to Abraham again, I'm God Almighty, walk before me, be blameless. I'll establish my covenant between me and you. I will multiply you exceedingly. And then <clears throat> the Lord says this, Genesis 17, 15, the Lord said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. I'll bless her. Indeed, I'll give you a son by her. Then I'll bless her. And she shall be the mother of nations. And, and Abraham says, no, 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 Lord. No, no. Genesis 17, 18. Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. So Ishmael says, no, no, it's not, it's not happening. Let Ishmael be the son. And here we wrap up. But God said, no, 
but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. He shall call his name Isaac. Okay? So, <clears throat> again, the lesson. God said, Abraham, Sarah, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have descendants all over the place. What God wanted them to do was to trust him. Okay, Lord, you've promised it. We don't understand it. The talk's ticking. We're getting older, but Lord, you said you're going to do it. And we're not going to try to maneuver it. We're not going to try to manipulate it. We're not going to try to make it happen. We're just trusting you. That's what God wanted. Unfortunately, they took matters into their own hands. And again, things backfired. Because now you got Ishmael, and then you have, <clears throat> uh, you have Isaac, and guess what? Now that we have the battle of uh, Ishmael, the Arabs, and Isaac, the Jews. All this came because they jumped the gun. So <clears throat> Jacob and Rebekah jumped the gun. Abraham and Sarah jumped the gun. And just one other illustration, and that's Moses. In a sense, he jumps the gun. So <clears throat> in Exodus chapter 2, <clears throat> excuse me, Exodus 2, 11, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just running tighter time. I'm just going to kind of give you the, the thing. So Moses is raised in an Egyptian home. His parents had put him out on a little kind of a raft thing. And then also... Uh, Pharaoh's daughter adopts him. Moses grows up, and he begins to get an idea that I'm not just an Egyptian. I have a Jewish heritage. And at one point, there's a battle he sees between two of his uh, Jewish brethren, and they fuss with each other. No, I'm sorry, not. There's a Jewish person, and then there's also an Egyptian. And Moses sees this. And he kills the Egyptian because he doesn't want the Egyptian beating up on his fellow Israelite. And if we see, uh, and I don't have time to get into all this in Acts 7, <clears throat> 23, Mo Moses thinks, hey, I'm going to deliver the people of Israel. Guess what? I'm going to do it. But it backfires. He gets scared. He flees. Kind of gives up the dream that he's ever going to be a deliverer. And when Moses comes to the end of Moses, guess what? Uh, we see he confronts God at a burning bush. And God calls him in the burning bush and says, hey, Moses, after 40 years of nothing happening, God says, Moses, you're the man, and you're going to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. Again, the point is, Moses needs to realize, hey, guess what? I can't do this. I feel the call, but I can't do it humanly. I've got to wait for God to do it through me. So basically, I, here's, the, here's the deal. God is trying to show us, not just Abraham, not just Jacob, not Moses. He's trying to show, I believe, every single one of us that I believe he has a call on each life here on the screen, okay? But I think he wants to see that that call is from him, and that call has to be carried out in his power, not ours. And that call on your life and mine has to be carried out in his timing and not our timing. Again, the danger is we can run in, try to make things happen, 
and we get things all botched up. It happened to Abraham, it happened to Jacob, it happened to Moses, it can happen to us very easily. There's one person, though, that basically doesn't uh, jump in ahead of the game and jump the gun, and that is Joseph. And as we go further, we're going to see his story. God gives him a dream, but he doesn't try to make the dream come to pass. All through, you study the life of Joseph, which is amazing. He trusts God. He doesn't try to manipulate God. He doesn't try to force God. He doesn't try to make the dream happen. He just continues to say, Lord, I'm trusting you. You have a plan. It may not make a lot of sense sometime. <clears throat> Excuse me, but you're going to pull it off. So I think that's what I, I, our challenge, I believe, would be today is, am I a Jacob? Am I an Abraham? Am I a Moses trying to make things happen? Or am I more like Joseph? Uh, God, you've got a call. But Lord, I'm trusting you. If you give it a call, you're going to initiate the call. Not only are you going to initiate the call, you're going to give me the power to make it come to pass. And by the way, Lord, it's got to happen in your time frame and not mine. So that's point one that I really want us to see. God has a call for each of us, but we need to carry it out in his strength, not ours, in his wisdom, not ours, in his time, not ours. So the last thing I want to wrap up here today uh, is the whole idea of the danger of a grudge. When we're back to Genesis 27, Genesis 27, 41, it says this, after that whole story, it says this, so Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I'll kill my brother Jacob. So Esau is ticked and he's upset. We need to be very clear though, this idea of a grudge, and I, and I can't imagine any of us have not gone through life and been hurt by people, Right. I don't think there's anybody on this screen that has not been hurt by somebody and it's got you really, really upset and more than upset, you've been mad. Somebody has done something and it's not a good picture for you. But even though that be the case, there is a command God gives us and it's Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17. Leviticus 19, 17, it says this, you shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but you shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Okay. Wow. God's very clear. Don't do it. Now, I read something the other day, and I guess maybe this is one of the greatest takeaways I'd give you. Uh, is this statement. Hear this, really, it's important, it's clear. It said this, if God tells you to do something, he tells you to do it because it's for your best interest. So if God says to do something in the Bible, do it, because God knows what he's doing, and he knows if you do it, it's going to be more of a blessing. On the other hand, if God says don't do something, don't do it, because again, if he says, don't do it, he knows that's for your best interest. Don't do it, because if you do, 
you're going to hurt yourself. Okay, that's important. So God's very clear here in Leviticus, do not hold a grudge. That's not just folks for the, the people in the Old Testament. That's for you and I right now in 2022. Why shouldn't we hold a grudge? Well, number one, if you hold a grudge, it's going to eat you alive. It's going to make you bitter. It's going to take away your peace. It'll take away your joy. It's going to short circuit your walk with the Lord, and it's going to make you physically sick. God's very clear. Don't do this because if you do, it's going to backfire. So if I say do something, do it. If I say don't do something, don't do it because when I'm telling you this stuff, it's like the guidebook in the Bible, and it says, like, this is what's going to work. This is what's not going to work. So, as I said, I believe everybody here on the screen has been hurt probably more than once, where somebody's really hurt you, and out of the hurt, you got angry. And now the challenge is, am I going to hold a grudge, or am I not? So... Um, how do you process I thought which where I want to end it up. How do you get over a grudge? Because it's not easy. Okay. So here's a couple of suggestions I would say as I've tried to work through when I've been hurt by another person. Number one, if God says don't hold a grudge, as a Christian, I don't have an option not to do that. Let me make that very clear. If God clearly says something in the word of God, and he says, don't do it. I have no option. I have to then do what he commands me to do. And it's a command. He said, do not hold a grudge. So I have no other options. Right up front, I got to realize I don't have the right to hang on to a grudge. Can't do it biblically, number one. Number two, if I'm angry with somebody, I think the most important thing to do is to try to get to that person and let's dialogue, let's talk. Okay, let's have a real genuine down to earth talk. Here's what I feel. And I think we can go to somebody and say, hey, you know what you said, what you did, it hurt me. Can we talk it through? I feel a block with you. Do everything in your power to go eyeball to eyeball. Try to work through the negative feelings. Okay. But maybe sometimes that person's not willing to talk to you. Ever had that? I mean, like, you know, you're upset. You want to get things ironed out. You want things over. You try to reach out. They don't, they don't text you back. They don't email you back. You make phone calls. You've done everything you can. You even go knock on the crazy door, and they don't answer the door. What do you do then? Okay, what's, what's the scoop? Well, if you can't do that, and you can't communicate with the person, I would say uh, a thing that I found helpful is A, just get a piece of paper and write down your feelings. In a sense, tell God, uh, like in a prayer, Lord, I am upset. I'm ticked off. So-and-so did this. I can't talk to them. God, this makes me feel da-da-da. I mean, just pour out your heart on a piece of paper. Another way to do the same thing is if you have a good friend and confidentially tell them, you know, I don't want to defame this other person, but man, I got to vent because I am frustrated and I'm hurt and I'm angry and I am, I am battling holding 
negative feelings and holding a grudge and just pour out your guts to another human being. I think that would be helpful. But I think irregardless, after you've done all that, I think you then have to say, Lord, you've commanded me in the word of God not to hold a grudge. So, Lord, I align my will with you, and I choose. And here's the word. I'm not talking about feelings. I choose. I choose not to hold a grudge. I choose to forgive this other person. An act of my pure will. I choose to do this, Lord. I choose to do what's right. I choose to be in alignment with you. An act of my will. I think at the same point, as you're saying, God, I choose, I think you say, God, give me the grace because I can't do this by myself. I can choose to let this thing go, but I need your grace to let it go. And I think you may choose that, but your feelings may be there and they may be not wanting to cooperate because uh, I think we all battle that. I choose to let it go, but that keeps coming back and I get these feelings and oh yeah, yeah what do I do? I think what we could do is keep letting go, keep forgiving, keep calling on God's grace. And eventually, I think as we do that, there will come a point where God will give us the ability deep down to have a supernatural peace and it will be resolved. Is it easy? Nope. Can it take a period of time? Yes. But I'm convinced that God commands us not to hold a grudge, I believe, by his grace in his time and way, he can allow us to begin to move on and not have this disturb us and short circuit our walk with the Lord. I just want to close with the story of Corey Ten Boom. Tori Ten Boom, if you know the story, uh, was in a uh, Nazi prison camp. She saw literally uh, her sister killed in that German prison camp. There was a guard that was involved in this. By the grace of God, Corey gets out of the German prison camp, and she goes over Europe telling this amazing story of what God did to get her out and what God had taught her through such a horrendous experience. At one point, she's in a church, and she's giving her testimony. As she's giving her testimony, things are going well. She closes the meeting. People come up a center aisle because they want to greet her and thank her. So she's greeting people. But then as she's greeting people, as maybe we've done, there's, you, you overlook and you see somebody a couple uh, persons back. And she notices this man. It's the German guard that had killed her sister. And as she's greeting the person in front of her inside, everything is going haywire. All the emotions are going nuts because this is the man that killed her sister. And inside, this is happening in seconds and, and it's processing. And Corey learned the importance that she had to make a decision. And at this point, pretty instantaneously, I got to let this go. I can't do it, God. I got to let it go, but I can't let it go, but I need to go. And she, she wrestles inside, and she knew that as an act of her will, irregardless of her emotions, she had to let it go. And when the man came up, he didn't recognize her, but she sure knew him. As an act of her will, she says in this testimony, 
she stretches out her hand to shake his hand. And when her hand and his hand meet supernaturally, God gave her a sense of peace. That was a miracle. It may not always be that easy, like boom, all of a sudden we have this supernatural peace. But I can guarantee you, according to God's word, that if God commands us to let the hurt go, in his way and time, he will give you the ability to get over that hurt and to be able to know a supernatural peace that there's no way humanly in a million years we could conjure up on our own. So brothers and sisters, God has a call for each of you. Let's trust him to bring it to pass. Let's trust his power to make it happen. Let's trust his time frame. Let's not try to make it happen in our own smarts and our own ability. And secondly, by the grace of God, let's not hold grudges because they literally shoot us in the foot and they destroy us. And Satan is up there having a good old time clap and said, yep, I short-circuited another person in their walk with Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Genesis 27. Lord, help us to learn that we don't have to make things happen. We don't have to use trickery. We don't have to use manipulation. But Lord, it seems like to me, the big word is trust. We need to continually trust you that you will fulfill your word in the right time and way, that you will fulfill your promise just the way you said you will. So I, I just pray, help each of us, Lord, to stay in sync with you. And Lord, I can't imagine there's not people on this screen that are, are battling with somebody that is just driving him nuts. And it would be so easy to get an attitude. I pray for them. I pray for myself. I pray for each of us, Lord, when we encounter these situations. Lord, help us to look to you because you can do the impossible. You can give us the ability to forgive, even as Jesus did on the cross where he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Not only can you give us the ability to forgive, Lord, you can give us the peace that comes with it. So be with my brothers and sisters, guide them, lead them today. And Father, we thank you. You're a good God and that you're for us each and every step of the way. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.